0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Real Crime Stories. This is an episode with Phil Grimaldi, a retired NYPD detective. He he worked in the 6-0 squad and retired out of Intel. And I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a 27-year retired NYPD Manhattan North Homicide Squad sergeant. And what we're doing today is we're doing a promotional for a great show that we have upcoming on April 6th at 8 p.m., we have two most unbelievable guests. One of them is first grade retired uh, organized crime expert, Tommy Dades. And the other end of the spectrum is made guy and Colombo family mob enforcer, Larry Mazza. So basically what we're going to be talking about, two guys from relatively the same neighborhood in Brooklyn. Well, Tommy Dades was from Sunset Park and Larry Mazza was from Gravesend, but they became really good friends when they were younger. And how was it possible that one became a highly decorated organized crime expert, detective first grade Tommy Dades? And how did the other, Larry Mazza, become a made guy and actually an enforcer for the Colombo crime family? Thus are some of the funny things that can happen in this life. And with me to explain this story, Brooklyn own, of course, and retired second grade detective Phil Grimaldi. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks for having me back, and I appreciate that uh,
1: that great introduction. I actually come from very very similar uh, area of Brooklyn. I come from Gravesend as well, and I actually rubbed elbows with Larry growing up. I didn't know him, but I did. Uh, we worked in the same area. I worked in an Italian uh, Maria, an Italian grocery store, and he worked for a supermarket a few doors down. He did deliveries and stuff like that. So that's actually how he got introduced to the uh, the life of crime that he wound up being involved in uh, by uh, making a delivery to uh, a woman, and she turned out to be Greg Scarpa's girlfriend. And I'm sure they'll get into that whole thing when they uh, when they come on the show. But I have a lot of knowledge of the area of Gravesend, growing up there, uh, the influence of the mob. And I know a little bit about Sunset Park, where Tommy came from, which wasn't really Gravesend. Was more of a middle class neighborhood, and Sunset Park was uh, on the other end of the spectrum. I guess it would be considered a poorer neighborhood, a, a rough neighborhood for sure. You know, so uh, I guess we'll get into the, uh, the you know, the aspects of those two neighborhoods a little bit. Just to yeah, you know, talk about what Brooklyn was like
0: uh, growing up for you.
1: Well, it, you know, I was born in 60, 60s, so, uh, you know, I, I went through the 60s and the 70s, and you saw a big change from, uh, you know, the middle-class neighborhood not locking your door at night and stuff like that to, you know, when you went into the 70s and 80s, the drugs uh, really became rampant, and uh, things changed around that time. But uh, Gravesend, growing up, uh, there was a lot of wise guys around. I worked, like I said, on, on Avenue U, and there was uh, there was a couple of uh, social clubs. There was actually a social club and another club that was like a gambling joint and they actually had a legitimate social club that did, uh, you know, community things and stuff like that. Christmas time, they would have a Christmas party and give out toys to the kids. And I remember it was above the post office. Then they moved it to, uh, a storefront around the corner. It was called the mother Cabrini club named after mother Cabrini, a, a Catholic saint. And, um, so you know, the the, the neighborhood uh, was actually the unintended consequences of the mob being around there. You know, these wise guys were walking around. It kept a lot of things safe, and they actually corrected things when there was stuff that went on in the neighborhood. Like uh, I can remember an instance where uh, some guy from out of the neighborhood there was a restaurant, and he parked his limousine near near his public school across the street from where I worked, and uh, one of the local crackheads broke into the limousine and stole the radio. And uh, this guy apparently knew people and got a hold of his people. And they got a hold of the wise guys from Avenue. And they dragged the guy by his ear back with the radio, gave the radio <laughs> back to the guy. And he had to make restitution for the damage he did. So, you know, there was uh, there was like, I guess that was the unintended consequence of, uh, of, you know, them being in the area, you know.
0: You know, Phil, we could use some of them now with crime going up in New York City. We could use some neighborhood, uh, you know. Fun good gangsters. <laughs> you mean you mean community organized yeah, huh? community organized gangsters that do the right thing, you know, yes, keep yes. your neighborhood safe. <laughs> you know, it's funny too because uh Larry's story,
1: you know, he was going on the path of uh, you know, he was going to college and stuff like that. His father he came from a civil service and, and
0: Phil, let me just uh, interrupt for one second. Yeah, you went to college, John Jay College of Criminal Justice. <laughs> exactly, exactly. His path
1: was not supposed to be um, you know, a life of crime. Uh, his father was a civil servant and he came from a civil service family. And, uh, you know, Tommy on the other side grew up in not such a great neighborhood. I mean, his his neighborhood had some Irish and Italian, but there was a big Hispanic community, mostly Puerto Rican. And there was, I remember there was some gangs in, in Sunset Park. There was a gang called the Bad Ones. They were like a motorcycle gang, uh, heavy into narcotics and heroin and stuff like that. So, you know, it was a rough and tumble uh, area, Sunset Park. And I remember the, the, you would see the graffiti the name Bad Ones in specific areas around uh, Sunset Park. And I guess that was their moniker to, to stay away, you know, that they, they ruled the area. And uh, I'm sure it was a very tough place to grow up. It was probably wasn't easy for a kid to grow up in that neighborhood. Whereas Gravesend wasn't, it was a little more middle class and there was a lot of businesses and stuff. So it was a uh, was a lot uh a lot better I guess you could say
2: you know Phil
0: I just want to get it out of the way just to let everyone know this is uh Larry Maz's book that's called The Life and it actually uh talks about his life in organized crime and most of it apparently he wrote when he did 10 years up in Otisville and he wrote the book while in prison I mean not edited but he wrote it while he was in prison and this here this book here is called Friends of the family, and this is Tommy Dade's book, that happens to be about the arrest of the two detectives that were known as the Mafia cops, Luis Ippolito and uh, Stephen Caracappa. Right.
1: Yeah, those. Uh, it's funny how uh, two different worlds. You know, if you look at their profile, their life profiles growing up. I mean, Tommy probably wasn't on the road to success or being. Uh, a first-grade detective in the NYPD, if you looked at him as a teenager, let's say, or growing up. And Larry was probably more on that track, but yet they're, they're, it was almost like Trading Places, like the movie Trading Places. They switched uh, their their profiles, and Larry wound up be, uh, getting involved in organized crime, becoming a MAID member, and Tommy went on the police force, straightened out his life, I guess, and uh, he was very successful being a uh, uh, an organized crime uh, expert.
0: Phil, I just want to read a short excerpt from the book. This was in Larry, uh, Larry Maz's uh, words. Sure. I remember the first time I ever laid eyes on Dades. I was about 13, and he was a year younger. He was dropped off at a gym by his mother, and he walked in like he owned the place. <laughs> Even though he was just a kid, he was very memorable because he was very unkempt and had a lot of tattoos. So at 12 years old, he had a lot of tattoos. His eyes looked wild, like he had been surviving on the streets for a long time. And here's a little quote from uh, Tommy Dades. In police work, said Dades, where you see a sweetheart like Larry Maza become a killer, you realize that anything can happen. After a while, nothing surprises you. There's no such thing as odd. Yeah,
1: the reason I smiled when you said that, that the quote that Larry said, because it's typical days, he would walk into a room and his presence, right away, you'd know it was, you know, Tommy was here. And he'd
0: be, you know, <laughs> he, lit, he
1: lit up the room because he owned the room, right? Yeah, yeah. Listen, he was a very proactive guy, I would like to say. He, you know, especially in police work, he was proactive. He was... You know, if he got uh, a case across his desk, and I think I might've said this previously about him, he always put his all into it. And uh, he had a heart for the people. He had a heart for the victims. So, uh, you know, he took it real serious and he did his job. And I think he was quite good at it, you know? Uh, Larry, on the other hand, you know... Uh he did go the other way and uh it's just a it's an incredible story. And there's
0: there's Tommy Dades right there. He could he could be the capo tuta capo, right? Instead you know, of the first yeah, grade detective, right? Yeah, he could he could definitely be on one side or the other in that picture for sure, you know. And, and here he is on the flyer on the show that I did with him. Right. And this one is gonna uh go a lot deeper into uh different things, and here he is with the uh Former chief of detectives William Ali, who to uh, to me was a great guy. I really liked that, him. A that lot. was really his mentor. That, that was like his uh,
1: his second father. He really looked up to Chief Ali, and, and Chief Ali, uh, you know, really uh, took a liking to Tommy. And uh, you know, they're they're two great people, right there. Unfortunately, Chief Ali passed away from nine eleven related. Uh, yeah, I, re- I
0: remember that. And here's the uh, the book. And apparently it's in the works to either make it an HBO series or a movie, but there's good things coming the way of Tommy Dades and Michael Vecchioni and the guys who were involved in that book. Uh, Joe, Joe Ponzi,
1: Mike Vecchione and, uh, and uh, Tommy Dades were really instrumental in putting that whole thing together. Well here uh, Oh, there's the picture now, go ahead. Okay, yeah, yeah. tell us who they are right there. On the right, you have uh, Adi Idala, who actually is a very close friend of mine. He was a prosecutor in the Brooklyn DA's office, and now he's in private practice. You'll see him on Fox News and on the radio a lot. And then you have Joe Ponzi, who was a uh, chief investigator of uh, the investigators in the Brooklyn DA's office, I believe, for about 37 years. He retired wow. about five or six years ago. And then Tommy Dade's in uniform. And then uh, the last guy on the left is uh, Mike Vecchione, who was also a prosecutor in the, uh, in the DA's office in
0: Brooklyn. Very cool. Yeah. And here we go. Uh, getting to some of the pictures of uh, Larry. Yes, that's Larry. He, he must. That's his son, and that's his wife. Yes. Right? Yes. His uh, His Larry looking very dapper. Right. Here's Larry getting instructions on a payphone. <laughs> yeah, and I, I believe that's a
1: surveillance photo. And no. uh, we spoke earlier; they would use payphones back then because. Uh, it probably wasn't any cell phones, and any phone that was that was in a social club or something like that,
0: they'd never use it to talk business. Right. And here is Larry at the premiere of The Irishman. He was in the movie The Irishman. I love to know where he got those shoes from. Those shoes <laughs> are white and black. I was like, wow, you got to be a hit guy to wear those shoes because he, people come up and say, hey, where would you get those shoes? He was trying to
1: be fashionable in that picture. <laughs> but,
0: but it's <laughs> funny. He actually played a hitman in – the Irishman, and the Irishman, yes. Yeah. Hey, hey, they look great. Look at it, he's a good looking fella, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, who's the movie star in this one? Oh, that's the
1: great Santi, who I think played the best Gotti in all the Gotti movies. Yeah,
0: he was. I mean, what a spectacular actor he is, right? Absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. But uh, I mean, he's uh. There's his book, The Life. And Larry was going on a speaking series. You can actually pull up some of his, um, where he goes and speaks about this stuff. People eat up stuff about the mob. They just, they can't get enough of it. They just, they just love it. Right? Yes, absolutely. And there's his, uh, the cover of his book, The Life. And then there was another time he met these really badass uh, guys from uh, from New York City in this picture. Ah, there we are there we are it yeah. was in the uh, the premiere of the movie the uh, actually the uh, i did a uh, investigation discovery the perfect murder and yeah. that was the first time i had ever met larry and and you were there of course yes, and there, yes there's kevin kaufman and rick torelli and i know the guy next to him but i don't i don't remember his name really good yeah. he's an he's an actor also yeah, he's an actor in the show. He's friends with, uh, I think he's friends with uh, with Kevin,
1: and he played a, a DA in one of the episodes I was in. He was actually a pretty cool guy. But yeah, he's an important. excellent character actor. He looks he looks great. You know, he's absolutely. he's a good villain. He's a great yes, villain. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that was the first time that I had met Larry, and there's a great backstory behind that. If you let me, uh, yeah, go ahead. Your section. So. Over time, uh, I'm very close with Tommy. I speak with him just about every day. And uh, he'd always talk about Larry and these other different informants that he kept in touch with. So I would always say to him, you know, like if uh, Larry was in New York, he'd get together with him. And I'd say, Tommy, you know, be careful. You know, these guys, you know, they were in the on the other side of the fence. And he'd say, no, no, you don't understand. Larry's a great guy. Uh, if you ever meet him, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I'd say, Tommy, great guy. Okay. But. He's still on the other side of the fence. Be careful, you know. So right. that particular night, and I had heard so much about him. And uh, that particular night, he was at the uh, the rap party that we were at for the perfect And uh, so I start talking with him. Uh, uh, Ricky introduced me to him. And within five minutes, the guy knew uh, a lot of people that I grew up with. I went to school with his cousin. I knew his uncle. Uh, he knew my cousins. He came from just a few blocks away from where I lived. And within like five or 10 minutes, I said, boy, Tommy was right about this guy. The guy's a sweetheart. He's just a, he was a real gentleman. And he was, we spoke for over an hour and we actually called Tommy and we, we had a little uh, conversation. And at the end of it, I said to Tommy, I go, Tommy, i got to tell you, you're right. He's just a real nice guy. you know? Hey, the Phil, way. do you remember what
0: you said to me that night? Ah, uh, not exactly. <laughs> but don't I don't you want know to embarrass you, but you said, I go, I said, who is this guy? And you go, he's 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 a bad guy. I go, he's a killer. And I was like, what? And you know how people always say, oh, he's a hit man. But I, I was like, yeah, sure he is. And sure enough, he was. Yeah, yeah. I remember you were like, yeah, all right, right. okay. Yeah. And I was like, no, this guy's the real deal, Like you
1: know. And, uh, and we obviously later found out that he was. But uh, it, the, the point I was trying to make was from talking to him, had he not been involved in a life of crime, I could easily have been friends with a guy like this. You know, we come from the same background and uh, you know, I guess he's really um, after he was made a witness by the government, the government made their deal with him, whatever he did, uh, he did his time. And since being out of jail, he's reformed, you know, he's like a success story of the, uh, of the criminal justice system. Now, a success story. He was involved in organized crime, killing people, whatever. It's probably not the right thing to characterize him as a success story. But if you look at it, the guy straightened out his life. He turned his life
0: around. And hey, him. don't use that expression. He got straightened out. All right. <laughs> well, he actually did get straight. <laughs> is, is, is he a friend of ours or a friend of yours? You know. Oh, he's he, he a friend. Of okay, for sure. But, uh... Yeah, I want to just. I'm going to show a little um, clip of Larry. Being interviewed. Uh, Okay. Let me, you got to check this out. Okay.
2: Okay. Uh, Probably, again, from a very small level to probably 20 that I knew. There's one that happened right in the club that me, Carmine, Bobby Zam, and Greg Jr., we're standing in the club. We know Greg's upset with this guy coming in. We don't know how upset. Guy comes in and apparently he had made a comment to somebody that Greg is a rat. We didn't know anything about this. We're standing in the back room with him. And we were told to be there because we knew he was upset with him. So after he collects the money from this guy, counts it, barks him off, goes through his whole business routine. He says, so, Donnie, what is this I hear I'm a rat? You saw the blood come out of his face. This is Greg. No, I was we were drinking. I didn't mean anything like that. Greg asks him. He says, "Do you have any paperwork? Do you can you prove that statement?" He says, "No, of course not. Never." As soon as he said that, the gun came out. He shot him right there. I guess that really uh,
1: that says a lot for how he went from. Just a kid delivering groceries in the neighborhood to years later being witness to uh, uh, a
0: homicide, you know, an execution, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, when I talk to Tommy Dades and um, he seems to have a totally different philosophy in life, he goes, you know, I don't judge anybody anymore and maybe that has to do with you know his life and how he came up and all of that stuff and being a cop and all the stuff you see as a cop and growing up with a guy who became a wise guy who's a good friend of his now and you know and i understand that and you know as cops uh we tend to be a little judgmental i would say you know and uh -hmm. when he said that i was like hey i wish you know maybe i could have a little more of that trait (laughs) but i just don't have it right now you know Yeah, I hear you. Uh, You know, uh, Tommy got really close
1: with, uh, you know, informants and stuff like that. You spend a lot of time with them. And I guess, you know, Tommy said to me something that I thought was very striking. Um, You know, these guys involved in organized crime. And if you compare them with police officers and and law enforcement, we take an oath to uphold the Constitution. They take an oath to their omerta, uh, La Cosa Nostra. And the unfortunate thing in Cosa Austria is, if you break the rules, you die. In the police department, if you break the rules, you get fired. It's obviously quite different, but right. but there's a similar, you know, they're 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 based on like a paramilitary organization, just like the police department, so to speak. I mean, you know, they they uh, they don't go to a, a mob academy like we go to a police <laughs> academy. So they get on the job training. And in in um, in Larry's book, he explains how he went from you know knowing this girl. Uh, he got introduced to the, to organized crime to this mobster, and little by little he got to the point where he just talked about that he was witnessing and, and taking part in murders. So uh, it was a real metamorphosis, you know.
0: Phil, you know what I saw the parallel to when they would go to do a hit, and they would actually go out in three cars. Yes. And there'd be like the shooting car, there'd be the uh, decoy car, and there'd be the car that would block or get in an accident say with a police car that be the crash car right so that the shooting car could get away and i was just like you know something that's very similar but in reverse to anti-crime you know <laughs> it's like yeah. in anti-crime you use all those tactical things but to get the criminal you know yeah we would use uh, a couple
1: of cars if we were going to make a, a, a collar make an arrest and we knew that if the guy was going to be getting in a car and being mobile, we'd have cars ready to to block off. And I did a couple of things with emergency service with a uh, an abduction one time with like a kidnapping, and they had the same thing. And they actually tried to block off the car, and the guy raced through. And and uh, one of the emergency service cops had the uh, the M1 rifle and fired a shot for the door at the guy. And but you know the, so they they took the tactics that maybe they learned from the street police department military, and they employed it into their uh and their lifestyle and their
0: goals, you know so you know he in the in the short clip we saw where he was talking about he was referring to Gregory scarper uh, who was known as the grim Reaper yes and allegedly killed anywhere from fifty to a hundred people hundred guys but the when we talk about the hits that these people people did, it's more or less you know the differences they consider each other as as almost like being in the military. Yes. They're killing other soldiers. They're not killing good people. They're killing people who they think are on the other team or are on the other team to them. And it's as I said, it's almost like, I guess, to justify it in their mind, they view these people as bad people and getting in their way of of, uh, making a living. Absolutely. And I think that you make a great point, Bill, because – justifying
1: in their mind, these really were kill or be killed. Not all the murders, not like Gregory Scarpe, like you said, he would kill people just for principle and money and stuff like that. But during the Colombo mob war where Larry was involved in some, in some murders, it was kill- he was told, and he'll explain this, he was told by a relative that if he didn't come out on the right side of the war, that he was going to be targeted and killed. So he had that heads up. That's why he wound up in that kill or be killed situation. So you could call it a justification and uh, you know uh, in their life it's kill or be killed. Uh, so if they know somebody's trying to get them, they strike first and in in a similar way, and I don't want to make a parallel or glorify, you know, uh, organized crime, but the police department, if we're, you know, uh, take, uh, Taking action, and you have a, a a person you know trying to kill you or shoot at you, and you kill them, you can get a medal, so to speak. You know, you right, can right. Be honored. So there's there's some parallels, and again, I don't want to glorify organized crime. Their their methods are obviously uh, you know over the top and and uh, uh, criminal in, in in nature right from the start. Everything is criminal. But uh, you know, I'd like to go back to uh, for a second just to talk about the neighborhood graves in. I know we're, we're short on time, but there was a, a, a certain um, allure with the uh, organized crime guys in the neighborhood. I think I said it uh, to you earlier before we went on the air about how these guys would, they would dress beautiful. They'd have nice silk shirts on. They would come onto, the, onto Avenue and they'd always be dressed to the nines with jewelry. You know, middle of the day, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, they were dressed. The Cadillac was always shiny. So when you saw this, you looked at this lifestyle and it was it was almost like a Hollywood type lifestyle. I mean, look at look at Larry there, the way he's dressed. That's probably middle of the day. He's making a call and and he's wearing a, a a jacket and tie. You know, so to be attracted to this lifestyle was very easy for a young uh you know a young guy a, a young man in uh, growing up and and you're at that age where uh, you're easily influenced by these things. You know, you see the money, you see the cars, you see the women, and uh, you know the gangsters of those days didn't walk around with baseball caps and uh, sweatsuits. You know, they wore no. nice clothes and stuff, you know. So, I mean, in, in my day growing up, the gangsters wouldn't be caught dead on Avenue U if they didn't have a nice uh, clothes on. You know, they wouldn't come out in sweatpants or anything like that. It was unheard of, you know. I mean, you know, Phil, stuff. just
0: one uh, thing I wanted to mention in that clip. Gregory Scarpa, when he shot and killed that guy because he heard that the guy called him a rat, apparently... That is in the rules of La Cosa Nostra. If someone calls a made guy a rat, you have to kill the guy. Yes, yeah. there's a lot of rules like that. You
1: can't strike a made guy. If you're a non-made guy and and you actually hit, get into an argument, and you raise your hands to a made guy, that's a killing offense, just like uh, going with a made guy's wife. Having an affair with a made guy's
0: wife, you could be made or not made anybody. That's a killing offense. But, you know? but in Larry's book, he underlines how the rules are broken all the time by everyone and there's no retribution. But if it gets a lot of attention, yeah, it, you know, people do follow the rules. But sometimes they break all the rules also.
1: Oh, they break all the rules. There's the old saying: "There's no honor among thieves," and the rules are always bent and broken in favor of uh, if there's money at the end of the rainbow, so to speak. If if uh, if someone brings, they would actually have what we would consider like a trial. They'd have a a sit down, and they'd bring a person in and say, "Well, this happened and that happened," and the person who was uh, judging the sit down, so to speak, the person, you know, would always be a boss or, or, or made guy. And he would say, well, listen, in order to settle this, you're going to pay him that. And sometimes it could be a killing offense and they would settle it with money or monetarily, or you can't do this, or you can't do that. Or sometimes they break down a captain, a captain of a family down to just a made guy and tell him he had to stay on the sidelines. So there was different ways that they meted out penalties for, uh, for specific offenses in their, uh,
0: La Cosa Nostra. All right, Phil, we got like five minutes left. Okay. The book is, Tommy Dades' book is called Friends of the Family. That's about the arrest of the two cops, and detectives known as the mafia cops, uh, Luis Ippolito and Stephen Caracappa. And Larry Mars' book is known as The Life, where he talks about his life and being a made guy, you know. And, you know, Phil, I I know we love love to do... um, we love to do some mafia expressions, and I got a new one. I hope this one doesn't uh, baffle you. What does it mean to eat alone? <laughs> eat alone. I don't know that one. That's not uh, ringing a bell. You're I gonna love it. To keep to oneself, to be greedy, basically not to share the booty. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he, he's eating alone. He's keeping all the money for himself. That's right. I, I I love that one. That's a that's a you know I love the one in the Godfather when the guy comes over and goes. Why are you guys stealing and not sharing it with me? He goes, you didn't even let me wet my beak. Hey, I love yeah, that one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: that's uh, the, 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 uh, forget the guy's name, but the guy with the white suit, the wet yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they called him. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that, that yeah. was. Yeah. I got another one for you. Look, it's yeah. uh, okay. Uh, what was the golden age of the mob? <laughs> the golden age of the mob. Got oh man! If I gun. if I stump you twice, it's gonna be ugly. <laughs> it's it's getting ugly. The golden age of the mob. I'm not uh,
1: I'm not connecting with that one. The days before Rico. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, <laughs> Rico is what put a hurting on the mob for sure. Yep. All right, yeah. I'll give you one more. What's one
0: large? One large, a thousand dollars. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you, yeah. so I, I let you, I let you get some retribution back there. So. Yeah. I gotta got like like three minutes left, and um, basically the show is going to be on April sixth at eight o'clock on YouTube and Facebook Live. Tommy Dade's retired first grade detective. Uh, he initially was from the six eight squad. Uh, well, he went to knock. He was in narcotics before that. Then he went to Intel, and then he worked for five years in the Brooklyn DA's office where he worked on almost ex- uh, exclusively mob cases and larry maza from gravesend brooklyn he intended on becoming a new york city fireman like his father and some things happened that never worked out and he wound up becoming a made guy and the story of how he became a made guy you know we need another hour or two just to talk about that but um so it's going to be april April 6th, it's a Tuesday, 8 o'clock at night, YouTube Live, Facebook Live. Phil, some final words. Well, it's an
1: incredible story, as you said. It's amazing how the uh, the two lives in, in two different uh, like uh, hemispheres, and, and they wound up colliding at some point later on in their life, but they traded places, and uh, it's amazing. It's a great story. I think you're going to love it. Um, Going back to uh, what we talked about earlier, there was this mob law, and uh, you know, Tommy grew up in the in the other side of the uh, fence, in, in the uh, you know, in the in the not so great part of Brooklyn, and uh, you know, uh, there was just uh, I'm sure there was a mutual respect between Tommy and Larry when they intersected in, in the uh, the later part of their uh, their friendship, you know, when uh, Tommy was investigating uh, Larry, but uh, it's a great story. I think it's
0: going to be. Uh, I don't know how you're going to get it all into one episode. Right? I know. I know. They may have. They may have to come back. You know, or else they may have to, you know, guarantee us a part in the movie. You know. Yeah. Now you're <laughs> you are talking. You got to put no. a picture up of us. The, the yes, i I'll, I'll throw that picture up again, and maybe that'll uh, entice uh, Larry into uh, putting us in his uh, in his movie. Yeah. There we go. There no, we go. I was talking <laughs> about the other picture of us from the Perfect Murder. Oh, the Perfect oh, Murder I'm picture. I'll, I'll throw that one up there too. Yeah. To show how, how photogenic we are. Which Where is that one? Oh, here we go. See, we could be mean looking when we want to be, right? Now, if you did something wrong, you don't want to run into these two guys. <laughs> <laughs> in the street, you know? That's great. That's excellent. We're at 30 minutes, Phil. I want to okay. keep this under 30 minutes. Very uh, good. This is just great promotional. Phil Grimaldi, whenever I call him, he's always available to help me out doing one of these real crime shows. He's hopefully going to do a lot more in the future. So for all you police off the cuff, real crime fans, tune in April 6th, Tuesday night at 8 p.m. for the story of Tommy Dades and Larry Mazza. Thank you so much, Phil. And everyone else, thank you so much for watching. Take care. Bye now.